The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome to the Forum Book Club, or hopefully welcome back because we're towards the middle, beyond the middle of this wonderful book, The Drama of Atheist Humanism by Father Henri de Rubach. And uh, we spent a lot of time on it. It's, it's a long book, but it's full of uh, a lot of very interesting material and insights, and we're now talking about Nietzsche as prophet, which is chapter... Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is prophet. Did I say Nietzsche? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Dostoevsky is prophet. Uh, He talked about Nietzsche, Feuerbach, Marx, and Comte as uh, figures in the 19th century who attempted different forms of an atheist humanism, that is, how to enhance man's life by <clears throat> taking God out of the picture. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Dostoevsky is the one who shows that won't work. And we're in chapter two of the section Dostoevsky's Prophet, and the Lubach is talking about three kinds of atheism that Dostoevsky is responding to. We talked about the first one, the God-man, the Nietzschean Superman or Overman. We're on the second one, which is the Tower of Babel, the idea of creating a society without God. And the third one will be the House of Glass and the philosophical atheism. So we're on, by my count, on page 325. Oh, that- I, thought, I thought we got the Palace of Glass. Am I wrong? I, I did don't- too. I thought well, we well, got go to ahead. the palace. We were we left off okay, to go good. to the Palace of Glass next. All right. I'm wrong. I marked it down wrong. That's so 334, <clears throat> Father. Hey, tell that on tape my saying I'm wrong, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so what page so are we on? Then? Page 334. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Joseph, take it away. Okay, well, um, I just one thing. I, I think somewhere in the dim dim recesses of my uh, uh, aging memory, I did know this. I had read this somewhere before, but I'd forgotten. So it was good to be reminded that Dostoevsky was friends with uh, Vladimir Sloviev, who's often called the, the, the Russian Newman, and of course, a, a, eventually a convert to Catholicism, which again is itself intriguing considering Dostoevsky's mm-hmm. own anti-Catholicism. So on, on page 334, he says, he says he took an interest in Sloviev's lectures. And then we have the footnote 57, um, the young philosopher, that's, that's obviously Sloviev, and the novelist had been friends since 1873. Um, and then we have, uh, this is this is Dostoevsky, I am weak in philosophy, but not in the love I have for it. I am strong in the love I have for it. So, you know, I, I, I just find that sort of uh, something which kindles my heart, so to think, that there is this, this affinity between 
Dostoevsky and this great Russian philosopher who becomes a Catholic, often called the Russian Newman, um, Vladimir Solovyev. So I want I wanted to just mention that. Okay, that's that's like someone saying Jesus is weak in theology because he tells stories, but you know I think Dostoevsky <laughs> is strong in philosophy. You know, intuitively, he expresses it. You know, in images and in narratives. And I have nothing then after that till three thirty-eight. So if, if either of you trump that, then please go ahead. Well, I like on three thirty-five with the central, central there, center. Okay. <clears throat> uh, uh, the rational universe is not simply the universe. Nobody bothered to explain how it happens that in practice, this beautiful palace of glass—that is the philosophic idea of, of the world in itself. Produces the effect of a dark jail. Yet it is a fact that calls for exclamation about three lines down. It is in this Achilles heel that Dostoevsky wounds the enemy, enemy here being this philosophical atheism. In a word, he raises the problem of the irrational. And if it is true that that problem now seems exactly like the great problem of our own times, this again gives the measure of Dostoevsky's importance in the history of thought. So I think that that's uh, that's the real box speaking, I think. Uh, yeah, and I think, Father, you know, you and I taught, of course, at Ivanhoe University in the spring uh, on Chesterton. And, of course, there's a part of Chesterton's orthodoxy where he talks about this sort of atheism that Dostoevsky is addressing here as being a prism. There's, you know, imagine Reading Jail is, is, is now miles and miles long and there's nothing but more prison corridors under artificial light. And, of course, uh, Tolkien, and you and I will be teaching Tolkien and Lewis in the fall, um, takes that up in his, in his famous lecture and essay on fairy stories about the flight of the prisoner uh, from, this, uh, from this atheism that, that, that endeavours to imprison us within a purely material cosmos. And you folks can correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm not very good on these global views of intellectual history, but was not romanticism kind of a reaction to over-intellectualism that came from the Enlightenment, that when reason was, was crowned, uh, that was so dry and arid and cold and stiff that there was a response to more sentimentalism or, or more sensual things. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Romanticism, well, romanticism, of course, you have to be a bit careful, it's slippery, you know, because the, uh, English romanticism is different from German romanticism or Spanish romanticism or French romanticism. But certainly, I, I can only really speak with any sort of authority about English romanticism. And that was definitely a reaction against the empiricism of, of the Enlightenment, the ideas of people such as of, of Hobbes, that basically the transcendentals are a path to truth, specifically beauty. Um, and that was their way of, if you like, um, transcending, circumventing this cold, uh, yeah, uh, palace of glass that we're talking about here. Also, just a little side remark here that that is a uh, a danger in Protestantism of becoming over intellectual because it's a religion of the word. And I recall years ago as I, when I first went to Regensburg in then West Germany, walking down the street. And there was a Protestant church there. Uh, I think it was called Holy Trinity Church. 
and you, you, you looked in the windows. The windows were not stained glass. They were just kind of plain glass. Of course, it was during a weekday, so it was empty. No lights were on. Inside, you had chairs and a table and a pulpit, and that was it. You know, if, if the word of God is not being spoken, uh, nothing is happening in that church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Down the street, <laughs> the polar opposite was the cathedral there, which was not just Baroque, it was Rococo. Mm. You walked in, it was open in the daytime. Everything was gilded, and there was angels, and there was light coming in, and there was, you know, people there praying. You had this sense of incarnation. The word became flesh, not just logos, but, you know, logos incarnate. Anyway. And, the flesh, and the flesh was not just made man, but made beautiful. Yep. All right. You, you're on 338 now, Joseph? You have anything before that, Vivian? Well, this... This reaction of the irrational to the overly rational, uh, which Dostoevsky is so intrigued by uh, and, and brings it out in these characters who, uh, on page 336, um, uh, uh, you know, this... This explanation that nature does not ask for our opinion, it hasn't got to pay any attention to our prejudices. We've got to take it as we find it. But because the rationalistic or scientistic approach to nature is so reductionist and limited, then sometimes people reacting against that, they go too far and react against rationality itself you know like wanting two plus two to equal five and this right. kind of thing and 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 dostoevsky actually probably ran into people like this who um and and there's a part of his own soul that is in rebellion against yeah. this reduction of the universe to these formulas you know there's just got yeah, to be more to it than that I think in this chapter, the next one, uh, I think that's what Dolubag is, is 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 grappling with, is that the danger, of course, of re reacting against rationalism by overreacting against it. Yes. And basically, you know, embracing the irrational. And Dostoevsky plays with that in his characters. The real question is, I'm not sure I know the answer, is to what extent does he succumb to it himself? Was he just voicing it? Within, within, within the, the characters of the novels. Well, I think de Lubach does a beautiful job later in this section on showing that, or maybe it's in the next section, The Experience of Eternity, in showing that these different characters are expressing different elements of Dostoevsky himself. You know, there's a part of the rebel that uh, is irrational, but that doesn't mean that resisting this reduced view of man is irrational, you know? But like you say, Joseph, the rebel can go too far. You might and, be right for the wrong reasons, so to speak, right? And, 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 but Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky sympathizes with the rebel. And so on 338, I think this is a very important quote from de Lubach. The thing that Dostoevsky is rejecting here is not the evidence itself, meaning the evidence for a rational universe, it is the rationalist claim that it should apply to spheres that are outside of its competence. Yes. Right? When we it's have atheists, scientists, judge metaphysics, right? Yes. Physics cannot judge metaphysics. Yes. Yes. Right. 
Well, like yeah. that's actually, that's the section, Vivian, that I also uh, highlight in the 338. So uh, I don't know if Father has anything. I I I now long as as, as Vivian sort of uh, trumped me by quoting my own quote there. I, I think it's 342 now. So uh, so anybody before that? Well, first I want an interjection based on what Vivian just said. That I th I think it comes out later, but even though we can't say that. Uh, all the characters in a novel are speaking for the author. Nevertheless, I think there's a way in which Brother Skarmasov, all four brothers are Dostoevsky. I mean, they're the, they're the rebel, they're the rationalist, you know, you know, the sentimentalist, and then the, the saint. Yeah, I, I think I think Father, we have to be careful because I think yes, they are. It's like Vincent as a, as an analogy here. <laughs> Hilaire Belloc wrote a wonderful book called The Four Men. And The Four Men is about a walk across Sussex where myself, who's, who's ostensibly Belloc, is walking with the sailor, the poet, and Grizzlebeard, the old man who's the historian. And, of course, these are all four facets of Belloc's own persona, all right? He is an historian, he is a poet, uh, he is a sailor, and he's myself, right, the person mediating. But these are all coherent. They don't contradict each other, even if they might break with each other. I think that Dostoevsky is giving voice to various aspects that he has, if you like, toyed with, uh, flirted with. But, you know, I, I think we need to be careful of thinking that the man himself is, 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 is torn in four different directions and has no coherence or cohesiveness within himself. Because if, well, he, if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to write these beautiful works of coherent fiction. Well, du, du Lubach takes a different view. Um, he says on page 366, and I'm jumping way ahead here, that each of these characters is an aspect of himself and that the idea that these are in conflict with each other um, is not, is not um, an argument against their existence within the same person. And later on in the same section, um, de Lubach mentions, you know, there is this duality in ourselves, you know, like St. Paul himself says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. So and he knows the difference. Yes, and, Dostoev and Dostoevsky knows the difference too. But the fact that there's a real struggle in every man and that, I mean, de Lubach even goes farther to say that, you know, we don't even, we say we know ourselves. We don't really know ourselves. We're not really capable of an objective honesty about ourselves that, 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 that Dostoevsky is bringing to dramatic life these different aspects of not just his personality, but the human personality. Well, I, 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 need, I need to say, by the way, that Vivian, um, that I also highlighted that part of 366, the novelist, uh, you know, with a variety of his characters, each of them is an aspect of himself. I put a couple of question marks in that, that a great novelist is able to empathize uh, and objectify other people who, whom he knows and meets. So a great novelist sees people, observes character, and can objectify. It's not merely something purely subjective. There's, a, there, there's, there's something objective about the reading of character the great novelist has. And it just isn't necessarily true that every character in a novel is, in some, in some sense, a facet of, of the author's 
personality. They could, they, 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 certainly things that the author has experienced, but it might be in the personality of others. Um, so I, and, I, I, and that's a fine literary theory as far as it goes. That's a thought. I'm going to be honest here. De Lubac's a much better philosopher and theologian than his literary critic. We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. Well, you're, you're, you're welcome to your literary theory. It's as good as far as it goes. It's not DeLubach's approach to this particular author. And that's right. okay. You guys don't have to agree. That's okay. Agree. But agree we have to understand agree. what DeLubach himself is saying. The first job for us is to understand what DeLubach is saying about Dostoevsky. And he is clearly yeah. saying something different from what... Yes. Oh, I, understand, I understand what the Lubeck yeah. is saying about it. That's what I've just said. I think he's a better philosopher and theologian. He's a literary critic because oh. I, I think that Dostoevsky is not all of his characters. I think Dostoevsky well, is no, not all of his, I never said he was all of his characters. I'm saying in Brothers Karamazov, each, each of those characters represents a specific kind of view or dimension of human existence or our, our attitude towards human existence. And each one of those 
attitudes are attitudes which Dostoevsky either went through or struggled with in his own life. That's right. Agree. I have no problem at all with that. Okay. Wow. Okay. We're we're we're. we're <laughs> I mean, this whole section on three sixty six, the whole thing deserves to be read very carefully. Uh, we're 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 Delubach now. He's actually going into the truth about being a human being. You know, this uh, I have in my nature, my temperament, my character, you know, the things of my very self that I prescribe, some of which I ratify, some of which I endure. You know, there's things about myself I I have to endure. I wish I could change and I and I have not been that successful at changing them. You know, there are the characteristics I've inherited, those I've made for myself. These are the things I hide from myself and the things for which I yearn without possessing them, which, which are molding influence because they attract me. You know, he, the beauty of what he's doing here is, is, is saying now that, you know, what Delubach is, why he's going into this depth, I think, he's actually trying to counter the claim that in order to be true to yourself, you have to follow every impulse. You have to follow every desire. You have to agree with every thought. And Delubach is saying, no, in freedom, I can affirm the man I want to be and prescribe the man I don't want to be. It will be a struggle. I won't always be honest with myself and so on. But for you to say, you meaning this person out here, that in order to be a sincere person, I have to somehow just give in to every impulse. I mean, let's face it. This is one of the biggest heresies of the human person we're dealing with right, right now. I was born gay. I can't help it. That's who I am. I'm only sincere when I'm giving in to my homosexual temptations. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I have, no, I have no problem with anything you're saying there. And, yeah. and uh, only, th only thing that Dulubak's saying in that passage you just read, I want to be a bit careful about leaping ahead. To yeah, let's not leap too far ahead, but... Because obviously we'd be missing stuff out if we if 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 we do that. I would say one thing, and it's not disagreeing with you or Dostoevsky or the Lubak, but um, we can only know ourselves in communion with that which is outside of ourselves. Um, you know, it, it, it's first of all it's impossible to do anything else because everything we experience is through our senses, which is experience something outside of ourselves. So we do have, have to have to commune with an objective reality, even to know what we are subjectively. And so that's very very important. There's no such thing as a as a self-centered ego that's not actually eccentric in the sense that it has to be getting its data from outside itself. All right. Okay. So that was 338. I have, I have, I have 342. I don't know if anybody has anything before that. I have 339. Okay. Two thirds down. Uh, I think an important statement to Dubach here, the age is not atheist because it could no longer find the means of reaching him, God. His denial is the result of a choice. Mm -hmm. Like the overman and like the socialist, the modern rationalist is less atheist than anti-theist. And then there's, an right. there's another follow-up on that, which may, I jump ahead. Well, before you go on, Father, I'd like to add um, this third character. This is the very next line. Moreover, is often found in association with the second, the building of the Palace of Glass and the building of the Tower of Babel often go hand in hand. 
meaning the 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 um, rationalist palace of glass and the overman, they work together to destroy faith. In so God. the one who claims to be completely objective, the empiricist, is actually working hand in hand with the one who's completely subjective, the egocentric Nietzschean. Um, and I think actually, Father, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I think that you know, I think that we need to. If, if you know that statement, the modern rationalist is less atheist than anti-theist. We need to discuss what the difference is, either what we think it is, and/or what the Lubach thinks it is, and/or what Dostoevsky thinks it is. Well, especially with Nietzsche, I mean, it wasn't that Nietzsche uh, couldn't find God. He he knew who God was claimed to be. He he, he opposed it. It wasn't like, I don't know if there's a God or not, but rather, this person you say is God, I don't like him, you know, I don't want him. So I'm, I'm against there being a God at all, because what does that do? It limits me. And like with Marx, the whole idea is, well, heaven is an expropriation like the capitalists. The capitalists take your capital and you're just labor now. And heaven takes all your worth and you're just nothing in relation to heaven. So they're, they're fighting against any possible God, let's put it that way. They're against there being a God because in their view, if there is a God, I am diminished. Therefore, there shall not be a God. Yeah, wonderful. That's that's that, that's a wonderful way of putting it. And again, but again, the irony is this is very irrational. In other words, it's a very subjective. Um, I'm antagonistic towards the idea of the divine. Therefore, I'm going to oppose him whether he exists or not. It's not a rational position. Right, an empiricist is a reductionist, but nonetheless rational. Right, but this is basically egocentric. I don't want God to exist, and if he exists or not, I'm going to fight him. Right. So you you want to go to three forty two? Well, unless and then unless Vivian has something before that. No. And I, why don't you? I, I underline or you know put a, a sidebar line on that whole quote there from. Uh, uh, Stepan Trofimovich on his deathbed. So, is that what you wanted to comment on? Uh, that's what I have highlighted, Father. So you go, you do it. No, go ahead, re re read that whole I thing. I'd love to do it. I mean, if I'm leading, no, and no, you, you're you're, you're a better reader than I am. You you, you speak English. <laughs> you'd like me? To, you'd like me to read it? Yes. Okay, I yeah. can read it certainly. But, I, but how about if I read it and you comment upon it? Well, you that? come you comment on it too. Okay. Well. um so I'm going to start from the top in that case, in which I've highlighted here. God is, this is in quotes, God is necessary to me because he's the only being whom one can love eternally. End quote. No, it is not happiness that man is in search of, or at least it is not the sort of happiness he makes for himself in his time of illusion. That's, that's an interesting phrase. And then the quote. Far more than he needs happiness, man needs to know and to believe every minute that somewhere else is a perfect, quiet happiness for each and all. The whole law of human existence consists in this, that man can at all times bow before something infinitely great. If human beings came to be deprived of this infinitely great something, they would no longer want to live and would die in despair. The incommensurable and the infinite are as necessary to man as the little planet on which he moves. My friends, all of you, 
all of you. Long live the great thought, the eternal infinite thought. The whole of man, whatever he may be, feels a need to bow before it. Even the most stupid man has this need to bow before it. Petrushka, oh, how I wish it could see them all again. They do not know that they too have within them this great eternal thought. So the only thing I, I, I would say in that, Father, is, is, is first of all, the word thought there is, of course, capitalized. Uh, and it's not a thought in the subjective sense, right? It's the logos. Uh, it's, it's the source of all thought and that to which all true, th true thought, in other words, true reason, uh, leads. Um, and we have an absolute need for this, that we are never going to be happy um, as long as we are um, narcissistically self-centered. So um, that that's what I want to comment. Yeah, you know, difference between um, uh, not it's not just self-centered, Joseph. It, it's that there's something bigger, beyond, above, transcendent, without which we can't be happy. We can't. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm saying we need it. We, we, what I'm saying, Father, is that we need that objective reality, that logos, because subject subjectively ourselves we are inadequate we are unfulfilled we are, in other words we, right. we, we, we cannot be happy i mean i've mentioned this perhaps before you know we do the same book club every week after we come we end up repeating yourself but you know one of my favorite novels uh, is, is uh Huisman's arabur where you got this person who is so stinking rich complete without devoid of all attachments who can do exactly what he wants who can actually literally he can satis satisfy, that's the wrong, wrong word, he can indulge every sensual desire, use all of his senses to do exactly what he wants. And at the end of it is a creed occur to a God he doesn't even know exists for help. In other words, can we find happiness without this infinite thought? No, we cannot. Now this character who's dying, this is what he says on his deathbed, this step in... Um, is from I think it's from the possessed right the footnote 71 mm -hmm. and yeah. that's a and that's it a novel I, I I haven't read I I think I tried years ago to read Not the me. possessed and um so I don't know much about this character to tell you the truth but nevertheless uh his 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 understanding at his deathbed right that and and Dostoevsky, or uh, even uh, like to go to your point, Joseph, about this sensualist or whoever it was living for every pleasure, you know, on 341 in the middle, uh, you know, the human eros, a ceaseless yearning for the infinite, pines at finding nothing on earth that is not alien to it. You know, so even when we're off on the wrong foot, shall we say. And we're trying to satisfy these longings in us. Um, you know, we find out that these desires really are insatiable because we're made for eternity. We're made to participate in something infinite. And we reach the end of the rope sooner or later, even if we've gone down the wrong road, like Baudelaire or whatever, right? And then there's this moment that opens up for a man, this possibility of glimpsing that what he's been desiring all along 
was the inter- eternal, infinite God. Yeah, I mean, that, the whole word, the whole word satisfaction, the Latin sartis, right? Sartis means enough, right? Only God is enough. <laughs> You're not going to be satisfied until you have him because he's the only satisfying thing. So I don't know what this man, this character's life was like prior to his this deathbed scene that Dostoevsky gives us. But, you know, we can only hope and pray that every human being will have the opportunity to realize, however late, wait, what? All this time I've been chasing after the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is actually a hopeful thing. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually have a few other things highlighted between now and the end of the the, the, the chapter, but we're at 30 minutes and I'm happy to desist. No, no, but, we, 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 let's finish the chapter, but no, I do. No, have... I was about to say, is I'm happy to desist. I'm also very happy for, for both of you. I'm deferring, basically, to the remainder you, of you the You can't be truly happy because that's an interworldly type of an experience, but you can be somewhat happy, let's say. But I have a, I have a question for Vivian because Vivian, as people may not know, is our senior editor here at Ignatius Press, and she gets manuscripts and helps make them much better. Here's my question for you, Vivian. If this passage which Joseph just read were in a manuscript novel by Michael O'Brien, would you have excised it? Oh, wow. That's a great question. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a fair question. Because, because Vivian is very, you know, she, she emphasizes, don't tell me, show me. You know, and this is pretty philosophical, right. a philosophical discourse, you know, right. in the novel, which is not is full of that, you know, in many places. But I, would you let this thing pass? I, 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 I would have because I don't. Well, I don't think. Um, well. You know. A writer like Dostoevsky. I wouldn't dare touch with a pencil. <laughs> not even a red pencil. I wouldn't even touch it with a charcoal pencil. I mean, uh, um, you know. Okay, well, that's all I'm going to say. Dostoevsky. Right. I, I think Dost- the difference between voices, you know, and, and preaching, uh, and I don't think this. You know, Dostoevsky allows the voices, and he allows voices that contradict this, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And and his characters, when you're reading his novels, his characters are so real to me. They're so vivid. They're not, they're not, and this is, I'm not, this is not a remark on Michael O'Brien at all. I, I want to leave Michael O'Brien out of it. I don't think it's fair to bring him into this, but I just want to say that the experience for me of reading Dostoevsky Every single character is a living soul. And um, I don't feel as though I'm being subjected to um, lectures or let me explain it to you or um, I, I don't feel that way at all. That is not my experience. When I, that, that is not the experience I'm having as a reader of his novels. I feel like, oh my goodness, this person is in the room with me and, uh, or I'm in the room with him <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and it doesn't, I wouldn't even occur to me to pick up a pencil. So. Okay. Very good. So I want to, the bottom of that page 342, uh, 
we're talking, this is Makar Ivanovich, the Mujik. Man cannot live without kneeling. He could not bear it. Nobody would be capable of it. If he rejects God, he kneels before an idol of wood or gold or an imaginary one. And then they are all idolaters and not atheists. That's what they ought to be called. You have to have some ultimate ground of your being, you know, some supreme good that you seek after. If it's not God, it'll be something else. Uh, I just want to comment on this, uh, man can live without kneeling. Uh, in Carl Ratzker's beautiful book, The Spirit of Liturgy, he has a quote there from the fathers that uh, the devil is portrayed as having no knees, that the devil can't kneel. And, you know, um, often people are, back to Dostoevsky's understanding, which Delubach explains or tries to, that man doesn't see himself honestly and objectively. And so the man who's kneeling before another idol, not another idol, a man who's kneeling before an idol, doesn't see that he's kneeling. And so um, that's part of the blindness of idolatry is that you don't even see that you're kneeling before something else. Here you are claiming this, you know, uh, independence and autonomy and not needing God and blah, 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 blah. And I don't need to bend the knee and blah. Well, you are bending the knee just to something other than God. That's all. Amen. I think that's a good conclusion to this chapter. Let's uh, call this the conclusion of this session and return again for the next session. Thank you all. God bless you. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.